0: Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? I'm your host, Brett Kane, and joining us today is a lone featuring company, aka Taya, if you know them personally. They are a spoken word artist as well as social activist, primarily focused on dismantling white supremacy. And today, we're going to be talking about just that. Namely, we talk a lot about how it is vastly different to travel as a person of color here in America. We also talk about um, whiteness and blackness and appropriation and assimilation. Uh, We kind of cover the whole gamut of things. So, like I've said in prior episodes, uh, in order to be fully awake and present in this current situation, day and age that we find ourselves in, it's important to understand other people's experiences. In order for us to like orient in a healthy, uh, straightforward way, we really got to take inventory of just what exactly this society is. And in order to do that, we have to really take time to explore and listen to other people who may be having different experiences. So um, uh, kind of a theme that we, we touch on a lot in here. We have some archetypical themes of like what whiteness is and what blackness is. And what I find most interesting is that we have so many subconscious forces in our lives that are acting on the way that we construct our worldview. The way we perceive the external world is largely based on subconscious factors that we just don't know unless we're actually provoked or stimulated to be able to respond in a certain way. So with that, uh, whiteness is one of those subconscious forces. The way that our society is structured has a lot of implicit rules that we just totally take for granted, especially if we're not interacting with a lot of folks of color. So it's really important that we start to have these conversations. And this is uh, maybe the second conversation in the show where we're, we're kind of doing a deep dive into other cultures' experiences that aren't primarily white so thing but it's not a debate to listen to somebody's experience and when you start listening to more and more people's experience you start to see a lot of commonalities and this is something that i mean if you can't even take the time to pause and to just consider then you know there's there's something in you that might be blocking you from deeper way of existing in the world. You know, this is really about listening to other people's experiences and creating space in your own life to consider that like there is other other things at play here. Uh, So I'm not here to like, tell you which way I'm just here to really give an a platform and elevate other people's uh, perspectives. And this is one that you know, I share and you'll you'll get that when you, you know, you listen and um, if this is a subject that you find to be interesting and this is something that you think is cool about this platform because I, I definitely am passionate about it and I want to continue giving uh, the mic over to folks who you know have a, a different background. Um, we did also do this uh, in I think it was episode 11 with uh, Jose Jimenez. Um, he was talking he's the filmmaker who was talking about ice. Um, and that whole debacle and what that's like on the psychology of the Latinx community. So, yeah, I I definitely suggest giving that one a listen to because I really liked that one too. And, you know, this is something that, I mean, it kind of, you've, if you've been listening, you've been hearing this time and time again, you know, come up in a lot of the episodes and I I think it's important and it's a hill I'm going to die on. And if it turns you away, then, you know, that's, that's on you, um, Yeah, I don't know if you guys can hear my roommate's cat is uh, yelling up a storm. I don't think it should be that loud, but either way, I'm going to leave it in because cat love, you know. Uh, If you like the show, as always, head on over to Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, subscribe. Uh, YouTube, you can do the same, like, comment, like us on Facebook. Uh, The more people I have, uh, the easier it is to make the claim to advertisers and actually get this show sponsored properly. And, you know, um, going forward, I'll always pick sponsors that I believe in and, you know, I will vet them very uh, deeply. So yeah, a lot of stuff moving. I did I just moved, so, um, yeah, pretty soon, you know, by the end of the year, there's going to be a video element, it might be linked to my Patreon, you'll have to wait and see as I see, but, um, yeah, before I ramble on too much, please open your hearts, drink some tea, do some stretches, get into your body, and welcome Taya. Heya! hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me, Brett.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you back in the Grand Rapids. We were definitely missing you here. Uh, For the folks who aren't aware, you and your partner were actually just traveling across the country. I think it was on like a permaculture tour, something along those lines.
1: Yeah, there's an organization called Woofing, um, and you basically go to farms and it's a work exchange so you work at the farms and then they'll host you like you can live there and they'll feed you um and you don't have to pay anything you just work um whatever hours you um you end up coming to agreement with um so we ended up going to the pacific northwest we ended up purchasing a Flagstaff 1995 camper, pop-up camper, and uh, hitching it to our Subaru Forester, hey. <laughs> putting our cat inside our car, um, and traveling all the way over to, to Washington. So we spent wow. a little time on Anderson Island, um, and then we were over in the Bellingham area, Ferndale. We stopped by, um, we actually ended up stopping by Portland, Oregon, seeing some mm. friends and then also seeing the the kind of aftermath of um, what was happening during the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so that was really cool.
0: Yeah, wasn't that, was it Portland where it was the um, decentralized, what do they call that? Um,
1: I think that was, that was Seattle. Um, they ended oh, up, right, right. Yeah, but Portland did also have kind of like a a larger hub where there were um, community members and activists that kind of took up space and ended up uh, there ended up being a lot of uh, street art um, being made on like a lot of the a lot of the boards there and just kind of some of the sides of buildings so that was really interesting to see
0: yeah, I think it's definitely a good um, vitals check on the nature of like a movement when like after it leaves, like is the space like, oh, it's more beautiful, like, oh, there's right. really cool art out, you know, right. like that's, it's cool. Like yeah. it a lot.
1: that was like one thing here in Grand Rapids too, that I noticed, um, and that I ended up mentioning to a few friends, uh, when, um, after the... June protest, I think it was. Um, and there was the damage to windows and they had the windows GR project going on. Um, and there are a lot of like black artists or um, white artists painting on the on the plywood for the windows. I was just sitting with a friend. I kind of looked around, we we're sitting at Rosa. And I was like, wow, this is the first time I think I've ever seen like this many people downtown just loitering, you know, not spending money, not, you know, going into the museums with their friends, but just like outside taking in the times and like, especially yeah. in terms of like black people downtown too, it's like, oh, wow, like we're just, kind of, we're just here, we're sitting, you know, like, and it's not like you're seeing people typing on their MacBooks through like the madcap windows, but seeing yeah. art happen, seeing like uh, students, like just kind of hanging out and being in a cluster. Um, it's it's really interesting. and. I'm kind of sad that it did die out. It seems like it's just kind of like back to business as usual um, in terms of like people only really going down there to frequent businesses or like the ice rink.
0: Yeah. I wonder how much that's going to change come like the spring. I mean, who knows what's going to end up happening, you know. But I definitely went down there during the summer and like the vibe was – it was completely different. It felt really fresh. Like yeah. there there was a element of like – celebration i don't know if that's the right <laughs> word but like it was actually kind of cool to be down there you know yeah it's like, I, don't, I don't go down there i don't wanna i don't give a shit.
1: right yeah <laughs>
0: that's
1: that's one of the biggest things too is like i like in a non-covid world i normally work downtown so i i would be downtown all the time but i was just like in and out you know like super quick i never really loitered as much down there just because i didn't really have any business down there or like the money to just spend to just like get a meal sit there for hours and then go to a coffee shop sit there for hours like so
0: yeah so back uh to your your travels how many farms did you end up actually getting to go to
1: um we ended up going to uh, two farms we were going to do three um but ended up um ended up staying at the second farm, which was a vegan sanctuary. It's called Elf Sanctuary over in Bellingham, Washington. And so they bring in animals um, who are uh, basically being put up for auction to um, like meat distributors or things like that, or meat distributors uh, will put the cows or the lambs or things that like they won't use or they don't want to spend the money um, healing. Um, to, like, a public auction where other farmers or people can just purchase these animals. Um, And so they go in and they purchase the animals and then they actually, like, give them a space and, like, give them a home or they'll, like, rehabilitate them and then um, facilitate them to their next, like, forever home.
0: Oh, that your favorite one?
1: Yeah. Um, The the first one ended up being... um, Being interesting, it was a guy who didn't really understand what uh, woofing was and kind of brought people (laughs) in to like create a farm versus having an established farm that we then work on. So.
0: Yeah, A big thing about woofing is, like, the education that you get from it, right? Like, that's kind yeah. of like a part of the package.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So you go there to kind of learn more about, um, in, like, intentional permaculture and, and farming. Um, and so that was one of the drawbacks on the, on the first farm was, or, uh, was that, like, we were the ones mainly teaching them. Um, and since i i've yeah i've had like woofing experience back in 2016 when um i worked on a winery in farm and so like i've had past experiences with that and then also um with there's a farm here new city new city farm and so i would um i would go there and help them do um, like social media or events every now and then and so i was able to see them having like a fully functioning farm and like they employ youth um and so that was really cool uh so i had like farming experience and like knowledge of like what it looks like to have a a good farm and this person was just like he was a he was another traveler who just wanted to bring travelers to him and like do something cool but had no prior knowledge of like any kind of safety or any kind of like building or anything like that and i'm a builder so it's like it was it was really interesting um and it also was like an opportunity to grow um and like another opportunity to just kind of learn um learn what i will and won't stand for in terms of like Mm -hmm. offering energy or offering like my services
0: yeah yeah, it's interesting because it's like sometimes like, yeah, the good intention is really important. But like, you also got to have like the specialty behind it or like the skill and know how. So I'm sure he was probably a cool, cool person, you know, who like had a good vision, but it was yeah. like putting in that that work beforehand to make sure that they're providing a service rather than just like getting free labor. You know? Right.
1: Yeah. And that was that was one of the hard things is no one else that was there. We had there, were I think, like. Four other, four or five other people there too, who hadn't had woofing experience, and um, or like any kind of really farming experience too. So, um, it it was kind of hard because they were then like, I don't want to say punished, but they were like hindered because of that like good intention, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and like having to tell them like, "Yo, I promise you, this isn't what woofing normally is." <laughs> like. Oh, <yeah.
0: laughs> Um, They're like hey can we come with you guys <laughs> yeah we actually right.
1: did end up taking two people we left early <laughs> we left early it was it was a whole thing we ended up leaving early and taking two of the two of the woofers that were there back to their place over in like vancouver oregon <laughs> and so Uh-oh. um so that was a very it was a very interesting time um but you live and learn and it was it was still it was still very fun though
0: yeah, I'm sure. So this was like a was it like eight months that y'all were on the road? Uh, I just threw that number out randomly. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. Um, so it was from we were we were only gone from like August, very beginning of August to the end of October. Okay. Um, okay. We ended yeah. up, yeah, like that was. So initially we had the desire to travel because we were like, you know, we're in a COVID world. We might as well go and like be somewhere where we can be outdoors. You know, we can be engaged. We can still have a community that's like our pod where, you know, we're still being COVID safe and like um and being able to um still kind of hone in our skills. Um, but then the fires happened. And mm. so we ended up getting a, at the, at the farm, uh, the sanctuary we're at, we ended up getting a few more animals that came from, um, from like the Oregon area and like California that had to be transported up to Washington because the fires are so bad where they're at. Um, and then we ended up getting a bunch of smoke and with our pop-up camper, it's like it's not fully um, sealed in terms of like uh, keeping out smoke, so it ended yeah. up just becoming kind of like hazardous. And then with everything with the the presidential election going on, um, and then like I found out that I was pregnant, we ended up coming back. But um, yeah, that was one of the interesting things. Is like we had the decision to travel. Um, And it was all good intentions, it was all, you know, for our own betterment, trying to get ahead of COVID, but um, ended up having to come back mainly because of um, a lot of the racial tension that was happening um, just around in the world. Um, I remember one of like the defining moments of me being like, you know, okay, maybe we do go back to Michigan um, was uh, seeing the, the presidential debate where um, Trump said stand back and stand by and I, <laughs> I heard that and then I like really heard it and then I was like oh, okay this might actually be a tumultuous like election season and this might actually um, become a thing where it gets very violent um, and so since we have to come through the middle states, since we drove, I was like, I think that we should. We it's probably in our best interest to leave before the election even happens. Just because even passing in those middle, like those middle states, um, was was a hard time um, for me personally, and also my partner, who's white, um, because there was just so much. Um, you really realize why people say Trump country. You know, you really realize why um, why he was elected in the first place. Like we, there was one one moment where we were driving. I think it was, I think we were coming out of Iowa um, or somewhere. But there was this huge billboard that this per, like it was plywood put together by this person by hand, and then he painted, or I'm assuming he, but they painted. Um, a huge middle finger on it and then like around it and in the middle finger is basically like all the people he kind of just wanted to say like f you too and it's like liberals gays like and all of the all the all the like um the like identity politics in air quotes like buzzwords um Mm -hmm. and like black lives matter and then like and then you just see like huge signs of like trump like that people will make or like they're flying their flags and it's kind of like oh okay this is not a safe space (laughs) this is not a safe place um so that was that was kind of like um the like last straw for me in terms of like hearing him say stand back and stand by and knowing that we're going to have to pass through these places that we already passed to coming here um and we made the decision to come back um and that wasn't an easy decision but um we do have a we have a, a great support system here um and we also really wanted to make sure that we were also able to vote as well and didn't want to have any mm-hmm. complications like we had our mail-in ballots but at that time um that's when everyone was like actually don't do your mail-in ballots like right. they're gonna try and screen voter fraud the like, everyone just vote in person kind of thing so um so here we are back and we survived an election we survived the fires our cat had a great time she got to see the badlands and all the other cool scenery that we were able to pass you know you got to show them while they're young so
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, i travel cats are the greatest it it, it, it's really fascinating because it's like you know i I still have people that I interact with that really do not grok the full intensity of the kind of experiences that you're saying. The fact that, like, you feel called to just avoid all of the middle states. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of people, especially back in, like, my hometown. I don't talk to them that much, but, like, some family members who, like, they're like, oh, like, what are they even talking about? They're just, like, you know, making this big deal. But it's, like the more you, like, you see a sign like that, and it's not just that that person felt called to buy a billboard and have somebody – they made the billboard, they painted it. Like, there are people out there who are so emotionally charged about – it It has to be, like, fear-driven of just other people and just building these walls that it's, like, that isn't safe, you know? Like, what what else does that communicate? Right. You know?
1: Yeah, and, like, during that time, too – I don't know if you've ever heard of the Sturgis Rally – um they Mm -hmm. got some (laughs) they got some publicity um over in like august um of last year
0: real quick is that the sturgis michigan
1: no it's the sturgis rally so it's this huge motorcycle rally where all these people that are really into bikes will go um over um i can't remember the exact location but somewhere near yellowstone so we were actually driving through Yellowstone at the same time this rally was happening and we had no clue what this was. We were seeing people. We were like, "Where are all these bikes coming from?" Like we're seeing people with um with like jackets that are like Sturgis or Bust. And so we finally search it, and we see that it's this huge like huge motorcycle rally. But it was in the midst of COVID, and so like we're trying to go through Yellowstone and like the reason we travel was to get out of like the COVID world and like. Yeah. And then it's like you see the these like this wealth of people coming in like from everywhere there are people who flew in there are people who like literally were driving from south carolina you know florida just to get there um and with that you saw like an extreme amount like a more extreme amount of like trump paraphernalia you see like it ended up becoming so white as well and like just kind of like the the like the nature of it all was just something so surreal to us um we ended up getting to a gas station and i don't know if you've ever seen it but there's a large trump float and it's like trump for president and it's like it has like stuff where it's like we love ivanka on it and like it's this huge float probably like the size. it's like it's got to be on, like, a 22-foot, like, trailer that someone literally built up. And we, like, pulled into this gas station, the only gas station, the last gas station um, before you get into Yellowstone. And we're there, and I was just, like, this is where we are right now. This is where our world is at right now. This is literally where we are placed right now. And um, I think that's, like, one of the things that I was very... Like, in the moment of, like in the moment of that, I was actually very grateful of being in an interracial relationship because I would just send my partner into stores. I would just send him to go and like grab our snacks. And like, if I had to pee, it was just kind of like, I can wait you know, like seeing what areas like actually felt safe or actually felt approachable um, ended up becoming less and less while that rally was going on. And then that rally ended up being like a huge, super spreader and like they oh, they well, still had like, near like half, a mi- like, I think it was like, it was a, a, a ridiculous amount of people, honestly, mm-hmm. that were there. And it was like over over at least like 50,000
0: Oh. And you guys were just like lined up with that too. Like, oh we want to go see Yellowstone and then
1: (laughs) Yeah, completely accidental. Um, had no clue what Sturgis was. I guess it's Sturgis or Bust. But
0: (laughs) Is it like a bike gang then or
1: Like it's just no, it's um it's where a bunch of people who just really enjoy bikes and motorcycles like go so there are like different like biker gangs that go and like you would see them like in their packs like riding together and like it was something so so wild and like i would have never like seen that you know or known that that's something that even happened in middle america yeah until we actually went and traveled so
0: Did you at least get to see some of Yellowstone at all? Or were you guys kind of like I'm out? (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah. See that was the thing too, is like we we got to see some of these sites, but since it was just so populated at that point, um, and like a lot of these middle states did not have mask mandates. They Mm -hmm. were not, um they were not COVID safe. Um, for some of these places, we ended up kind of like doing just quick stops we'd drive we'd see a site we'd pull over to the side look at it for a minute you know be present in that space and then we'd see a bunch of cars or like motorcycles come behind us and we just kind of have to like leave um i remember there's a time when we got to idaho where we were getting our i think it, we were getting like our oil changed or something like that and i had my mask on and i went in to pay and my partner uh he does like online teaching so he was in the middle of a class like finishing up a class and so I was like oh I'll go grab the car you know I'll, like see if they're done I'll pay them out I like tip the guys too um and one of the employees comes behind me and like kind of walks around and he's like oh you believe in all that stuff and I'm like super confused I'm like what do you mean and then he like points to like my mask and kind of like does a like gesture at his own mask and I was like you mean this mass? Like, you mean COVID? Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah. he's like, he's like, oh, well, I don't really believe it. And like, the population of that place was like 999. It wasn't even a full thousand yeah. people. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think you, under-, and I had to be like, you know, I don't think you understand that. Like, I came from Michigan. Like, I came from a city where it's like, my high school had more people than your whole city, like your whole town right here does. Like I'm not just like protecting myself, like I'm protecting you guys. Like I am an outsider coming in from a city from also traveling and they're like oh well, i don't believe that's real and like the one case we had here the doctor said it it, it was faked or something like that and it's like yeah. and that might be a very real possibility for your for your specific town but i can let you know right now that's not what's going on everywhere and like having to like kind of like have that conversation with someone who like is completely in this pocket like kind of deserted type area where it's like you have your two gas stations you're like two like car places and like your three like small town restaurants and then that's that's it, you know, Mm -hmm. other than like the little parks or like residents you might have. Um but like um I remember explaining to them like you have to understand that like it's not the situation on if COVID is real or not. It's a situation that it's something that's here and that we have to deal with and I remember them being like, oh, well, you know, like they just they just put COVID death on anything. And I was like, you have to understand that, like, people don't die of HIV or AIDS, you know, they die of what happens to their body. They die of sepsis, you know, like they're like, like my father has second of the lungs, but on his death certificate it won't be sacodosis of the lungs, it would be, like, the pneumonia he got, um, and that, like, really weakening his immune system to the point where he, like, actually dies, you know, and that, like, it was just, like, really interesting, like, coming into, like, these areas and, like, meeting people who are just kind of so, like, out of out of like the, I don't want to say out of the loop, but just kind of in their own realities and experiencing their own realities every day um, that are completely different to like mine of like someone from the city, someone of mine who like, we have more, we have more like unhoused individuals than like they do a population, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. So, (laughs) I I think that speaks to like the idea that like exposure is kind of what breeds both, uh, I guess, Intelligence and like (laughs) compassion. Like, you have to be interacting with a lot of different kinds of people. You have to be plugged into a space that there's a lot of people in order to really see the full gravity, you know? And I even, I I grew up in Bay city, which is across the state, like in the crook of the thumb. And there's, I think like 30,000 people, but it's really not that much. And, you know, I talked to them about, you know, masks and stuff. And like, I I remember in Grand Rapids, you know, I have friends who are working in the hospitals when it was like at capacity. And it's like, all you really need are like so many people in your sphere that have been on the front lines, like, yo, this is real, yep. you know? But if you don't have that, I, I totally get everybody's distrust of, like, mainstream media and the right. government. And I, I get it. I don't think it's, like, right, but, like... It's you definitely know, like why... still
1: valid in a way, you know? Like, yeah. like, the reaction might not be valid, but, like, mm-hmm. the initial, like, belief or understanding um yeah. is valid, so to
0: say. Yeah. Well, I think there's also the part of it that's kind of, like, because... Some of these people, they've been in their small towns their entire life. So by you saying like, well, it's different in other places, it almost unless you're like prepared to like take that in, it kind of like puts your entire life in like, oh, there's like more out there. Like I may have missed out on something. And it's like that's not a conversation people are often ready to have, you know, so it's easier to kind of push things that aren't in your experience out. You know, and I think that that's like a big thing. Is like it's all about the exposure, you know? Yeah, and...
1: it kind of brings. It's like um, living in a bubble, you know. And then someone yeah. just comes by and they're like, you know, like how are you breathing in there? And like they like kind of poke your bubble, and then you're like, oh my god, there's air, there's air outside <laughs> yeah. the bubble. Like, what do you mean there's yeah. air outside the bubble? Like I've only known of like my air and my space, and yeah. it shocks people. Like I think of like even yeah. in terms of like even in terms of like birth, and I think about like why babies cry when they come out into the world. And it's like, it's cold, it's super, it's so bright, you know, like there's all these sensory overloads that like just happen. And like the only response that they can have in those periods of time is to scream bloody murder sometimes, you know? And I like think about that in terms of like where we are now um, in society and where we have been, especially even for the past like four or five years, is it being a thing where people have been able to live in their bubbles, have been able to live in their pocket communities, have been able to be, you know, outside of um, cities or the mainstream, and now that all of these things like Black Lives Matter or like trans rights or you know women's rights are really, really, really gaining traction? like these people are screaming bloody murder because it's such an overload of their system. Mm -hmm. You know, it's such an overload of their thought process, how, how they know things to be true. Like, and honestly, as humans, like we don't want to be wrong. Like the feeling of being wrong is like gross sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's like it's a moment where I try and have compassion in those situations, but also like it is, it is a moment where we have so much accessibility to actually like get out into the conversation. We have so much ac- accessibility to like go and find new people that we might not talk to, new nationalities, cultures, like those of other religions. Um, because the more we do stay ignorant, like the more um, we stifle change and the more we stifle actually building as a society and building together as a society. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. I love the metaphor of like breaking people's ignorance as likened to like childbirth. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, yeah, you can be compassionate and understanding, but you also have to be firm in that, like, if you leave that child in there, it's yeah. bad for the mom and the child. So exactly. it's like, oh, it's gonna happen it's just a matter of like how do you want to go with this change right and I, I think like with like the advent of the internet and podcasts and just like we're communicating now and you're able to actually hear other people's experiences yeah and the more that you're able to do that I mean for me it's like you know when when people come at me with new information that kind of um like, contradicts what I thought might have been. It's a moment of, like, exploration, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a moment to where it's, like, someone is telling me I have an unconscious force, which is kind of, like, changing the way I perceive the world. Like, that's kind of exciting to me. Like, you know, it's a matter of, like, It's the choice between do I have unconscious forces that are dictating my world or don't I? Right. If you say no to like that one, then you're saying no to all of those and you're just closing down and like, I already know every aspect of me. Right. Like boring. Yeah. You know, like let's let's keep expanding and but again, I think a lot of that kind of comes down to like people's nervous systems, you yeah. know, they're, how strong they are in their sense of self. If they've had trauma, they're a lot less likely to have those open borders and to be persuaded or listen, you know, because they're already right. trying so hard to hold on to their, you know, shaking, you know. It's like, this is all I have this is this one identity structure, right. you know, and now this person wants to pop that bubble and it's you know, but we, we got to do it, you yeah. know,
1: it's a full scale rebirth, you know, and like yeah. with that rebirth, you now have to think about every relationship that you've ever gotten into, whether it's a friendship or, um, or like, you know, actual relationship. Um, what like, you have to think about, you know, how you've now treated people, how you're now perceived by people. Um, and like, that is very scary. Um, but at the same time, it's like very interesting um i've been on both both scales of that like where i have been very ignorant um until i actually ended up getting more information and until i went and i actually explored more um growing up especially here in west michigan we have this we have this um expectancy of assimilation we have this um this we soak in the like broth of racism here but it's it's like veiled in like this michigan niceness you know where it's like we just want what's best for you and like we know what's best for you it's kind of like the the missionary style way of helping um and saying like well i'm going i know what my reality is i know that like i'm able to succeed this way so therefore i'm going to place that model onto you even though i know nothing of you and make you like end up pushing yourself to become that model and forgetting who you were beforehand. And it it ends up like really muddying the waters. Like I I grew up in a Black household. Like my siblings are Black, my mom's Black. I come from, like I'm Black, like most staff, I'm Black on both sides kind of thing. <laughs> um, but like with that, I still was more i went to white like predominantly white schools i was in a predominantly white area you know and so therefore like i heard a lot of like racist rhetoric that then i internalized and like repeated constantly like i was one of those people that was kind of like you know well like if we as black people want respect like we shouldn't be like producing rap music and things like that and then like i had to actually have like a few other like white allies and like um another black individual and like my older brother finally called me out and say like hey like you need to chill out with this like this is not something that like you truly understand like go and like explore this topic more go and explore your blackness more and see where and like see where you've in a sense been lied to um and so like one, one of the ways I did that was asking counter questions. So it's like, instead of like, we as black people, um, if we wanna be respected, need to not produce rap music. It's like, okay, well, what about, what about rock music? And like the misogyny that's in there. What about the, like, I even think about Buckcherry and their song Crazy Bitch. <laughs> oh oh god. Trying my god. I not
0: think about Buckcherry.
1: Yeah, and I think about how like I've heard that on the radio. I'm a huge fan of 9 inch nails. I've heard closer on the radio. You know, like there are so many instances where like we have like the similar models being made by like non-BIPOC individuals or by white individuals that are, um, that are able to be accepted, that are adhered to, you know, like we have, we have heavy metal that like talks about like infant annihilator, you know, where it's like, it's literally talking about like beating fetuses and like, like assaulting fetuses. And yet, like when you, when people say, oh, well, what's wrong with music? They always go towards rap music. Um, and that being a thing that like, Once I started answering these like counter questions or like flipping the narrative, you know, and like kind of putting up a mirror to like what I thought, I like realized how much that like I myself was going through my life picking up all these things that i didn't realize i was picking up you know like they're like the life is a staircase and i started on the top floor like like on the bottom and just like as i took each step i would pick up something pick up something pick up something and like i finally got to kind of like the middle staircase and then it's like do i need to hold all of these things like i had to look at my arms and i had to look at like my whole psyche and like my mental health and say like am I responsible for all these things that I'm holding in my hands right now? And can I leave these here? And like, what do I wanna take going forward? And so like a lot of that was just like undone by like sociology and learning the history of how we came to be, learning the history of like where we came, where like blackness came from and where like black music came from. And it like ended up becoming this whole rebirth that I had, you know, and like, it shook me to my core. And I was, I remember lashing out too when I was like being told, Hey, you don't understand the black experience while being black, you know, and being like, well, what do you mean? And being like, Oh, I actually didn't because I still wasn't living in the world of blackness because I shut myself down from that. You know, I made sure to like, assimilate as much as I could because because I thought that, like, with that assimilation, I, w- I would essentially save myself from the racism that, racism that happened. And that was never going to happen. That's something that, that was, like, a harsh reality that I had to realize. Like, um, in preschool, <laughs> I remember being told by, like, another white classmate that, like, she couldn't hang out with me because I was Black. And, like, for me, I didn't know my color at that time, you know, like I didn't realize that there was a full-on difference between that until I was forced out of like my very first bubble, which was my safety, which was my personhood, which was my individuality, until I actually like had that popped. And like I've asked a few of my other white friends, you know, like, when was the first time you you realized you were white? You know, when was the first time you like recognized you are the race that you are, you know, and a lot of people like, will kind of like say that, like, it's been, you know, like other black kids or other like, um, BIPOC kids, you know, mentioning it to them, or like joking with them, um, you know, about their whiteness versus it being an attack versus it being um, something so negative that it like, literally impacted them. Um,
0: Yeah. So. It's like coming from a friend rather than coming from somebody who like means to do you harm or differentiate you and um right yeah, and I almost feel like there's an aspect of that where it's like as you just said that I'm thinking of like when when, when did I realize, you know, and like frankly, it, w- it like wasn't that long ago. and I think that that's honestly also kind of harmful in that like it's kind of assumed that like, it's like the base standard, you know, like there's, I mean, unless you differentiate and you're able to see like the full picture, you know, it's like, it's just like a really fascinating question, you know, that I don't think a lot of people have really been asked, you know, right. That's yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, there's so many things to go off of there. (laughs) Um, so like, it, it almost seems like, do you think, I don't know if this is like wording it the right way, but do you think that like the assimilation in is into whiteness, like the thing that you were kind of like inculturated or like that was trying to seep into your psychological structure was like overarching like whiteness, like that yeah uh, Mid-W- or Michigan nice
1: yeah I think. Um... Like, that's the thing with assimilation is that it is a tool of white supremacy. You know, like, the assimilation that happens is some, it's not new either. Like, it's an age-old story of, you know, since I'm from the U.S., I can only speak from the U.S. like, perspective, Um, but, like, it's been an age-old story where, like, it used, it was targeted towards, like, um, enslaved Black individuals, you know, and, like, them like whether it be the Tigan in laws, like where it's like having like black women having to wear head wraps, you know, like the the fact that um, you know, like we were told we can't we can't read or write until um it actually came to a point where like, oh, we're okay with teaching you like English, you know, it's like you can't read read or like speak in your own native languages that you came here with, but you can speak in ours, you know? Like, no, we don't want you to um to like do the dances that you do or do, like, you know, the cultural things that you've done beforehand, because we see that as uncivilized. So therefore, you're going to assimilate into like, whiteness and do things that we now approve of. Um, But it's very interesting, because there was a period in time where like, that was also assimilation was also used against other, like, um, white European descendants, you know, like, um, like, for example, my partner, his, um, like, back in his lineage like he has ancestors that came over um had like a gaelic last name and then switched it to something um that was more palatable something that um was easier to like use to assimilate into the like the culture of the u.s you know like we've had um like irish individuals you know kind of like stop going into like their irish roots and just kind of like go into this mod of like the u.s culture like to get into the like to get into the u.s we've told so many people that they have to fit this like this muddied like white european standard um that in a sense like doesn't really fit people and i think that's one of the hard things with um trying to get people to recognize race or like recognize privilege is like they see descendants where they too have like given up their norwegian culture they themselves like know nothing of their like scottish heritage you know they know of stories but like they don't have the actual the ability to touch that to like actually like explore deeper into that because some of the records have been lost or like or their ancestors had like purposefully like removed any record of that or didn't want to talk about any of that um and so like it is a sense of like white supremacy in the sense of whiteness and what we see as white here in america or in the united states um because um it was no longer you're irish you're scottish or whatever you're not white you know and then black people were now black you know we're colored we're um we're like um we're now um put at this like this this teeter-totter of like trying to figure out how to balance having like culture here in the united states but also not having too much culture where like it ends up becoming a problem and like i think a lot of that comes from like um a lot of that comes from um i don't think i don't I don't think it was like the Catholics, but it's kind of like that Protestant, um, that Protestant need of like everyone speak like everyone speaking the same language, like you know, like the Babylon kind of thing, where it's like we all have to like be a a collective um, in order to actually like survive. Versus, hey, we all have differences. We all could still exist within our differences. And like use those differences to create a new shift, a new culture. But that in a sense takes away like the ability to like force people into the comfortability of those in power. So
0: yeah, it's interesting. This idea of assimilation because I, I don't think a lot of people really see that. You know, we've kind of been raised on like America's like a big melting pot, you know, but like we're all melting into the same th- like that's actually not like a good thing you want to see right. the the individual ingredients of the stew so to speak mm-hmm. um i know like my family my last name is kane and mm-hmm. they dropped the i in it because they didn't want to be associated with the jewish heritage that it actually is mm-hmm. um so like i heard that and i'm like okay so that's like one small thing but like i really think that the assimilation it hurts everybody who mm-hmm. agrees to it you're kind of becoming like Um, like, a refugee of your, like, heritage. We have no roots anymore. Like, we've been, like, uprooted. And, like, everybody who gets involved in this weird, like, we're all agreeing. sort. Well, some people aren't agreeing. They're being forced into it. But, you know, a lot of people were, like, happy to agree to it. And then, like, we're seeing generations down the line that, like, oh, this actually, you know, we're, like, spiritually bankrupt and, like, (laughs) have no ground in reality right um and what exactly do you think this might be a pretty nebulous question that's i I don't really know if it's been well defined but like when we say whiteness Mm -hmm. and blackness like what are we like pointing to like what exactly are the definitions of whiteness that we're all assimilating to and like what is that where when was that created or like well
1: that's that's the hard part is that like whiteness is something that like It's so frustrating because like, um, like in the sense of like the melting pot. So I think of like, I don't know if you've ever been to like, um, that actual like restaurant where it's like, you get this, you get this bowl of like cheese fondue and you get all these other like, you know, vegetables or whatever. And so like, imagine you put a skewer through like broccoli and you just dip it in the cheese and you pull it out and it's like that's what you're seeing, like you're no longer seeing the the meat. You're no longer seeing the like the full vegetation. You're just seeing the cheese and everything it surrounds. Um, and that's kind of how I see whiteness. And that's kind of how I see like, yeah, we kind of are a melting pot in that way, um, <laughs> because we do just kind of like whiteness is something that like the goalpost is always moved. Like it's not a thing where um, whiteness is one defined like thing because we have seen like the irish be called like not like them not being seen as white you know the um like italians them not being seen as white it's something that like it becomes like whiteness is like this classist and inherently like racist like identity and like (laughs) And that's, like, one hard thing that, like, people will hear from me and, like, honestly, like, disagree with is that, like, we are inherent, we all are inherently racist because with whiteness, it's something that, um, it prioritizes European standards, whether it be, like, the size of, like, a person or, like, their, their features, um, their, their ability to be passive, um, their, um, And just kind of like the the naivety or like the oblivious nature in which we live in, in a sense where like whiteness is the default. Whiteness is the things that like are the things that we are taught every day to strive towards, to want, to learn. It's the it's the American dream, it's the nuclear family, it is everything that is essentially counter like BIPOC or other, other, you Mm -hmm. know? Like I think about it in terms of um, like color as well, like whiteness is also something that like, um, that is, you know, not only those people of like European descent, Caucasians, like white individuals, but also um, like a class structure. It's also um, like, it's a tool used to basically put a value on a person so um in terms of it like i think that's one reason why like you'll see poorer whites feel uncomfortable with being called white like and it's really interesting that like this past like i want to say probably since like 2012 2014 with trayvon martin and mike brown's killing um that like people haven't had white people have yet to actually be identified as white people and i think that's whiteness in a sense like whiteness is just this complete like veil that we're able to put over people who don't have the other othering like qualities who don't have the differences um outside of um like being black or being native or coming from like immigrant roots, being like Latinx or you know things like that—it's
0: um, even the fact that you just said they don't have the differences in in that verbiage. It even kind of points out, you know,
1: right? So, um, and I think that's one hard thing too. Is like, it's whiteness is something that we all are told to strive toward. You know, like that's one reason why you see um, when you see like. Um, like more educated black individuals pushing pushing for like young black youth in suits that's whiteness to be you know mm. like when you see people striving towards a ceo gig um, or trying to be a higher up in a in a cult, in, the, in a company like for me that's whiteness you know because it oh. isn't yeah, it's like, yeah, sorry, it's, you <laughs> yeah, because no, it, it's now pushing people into this, like into the rat race, you know, it's now pushing people into the gears um, of this machine that is like white supremacy and like America, you know, mm-hmm. and once you see people push out, toward, like push away from those, those streams, um, that's when you see that, like, they start to have their whiteness stripped, like think of hippies like, the quote-unquote hippies, um, and how, like, there's, there's normally such a derogatory nature in which how, like, the wealthier white individuals see, um, see hippies, you know, and, like, see people who are counterculture, like, or, um, or even if you see, like, white individuals who have, like, grown up in the hood and they, like, they end up, like, kind of trying to assimilate towards black culture. You know, they start wearing baggy clothes, they wear jerseys, you know, they're wearing like their chains and things like that and how they then like get mistreated because they themselves are steering themselves away from whiteness. So
0: yeah. So it, it kind of sounds like like whiteness is a tool. Is that mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's like a method of that the assimilation. What is the umbrella thing that that fits under? Do you think it, is it like capitalism? Is it Um, like patriarchy like what exactly is the thing that's you what's the hand
1: (laughs) yeah i feel like it's it's both of those you know like i'm a person where i like i will almost always say like capitalism is inherently racist like you like at the end of the day where we came from how we got our how we got our train tracks how we got our food how we got the land at the end of the day like those were fueled by capitalism and all of those things were inherently racist. We had to do racist things to get there. Um, The patriarchy also inherently racist because like, if you see in like native cultures, like they have the matriarchy, you know, there Mm -hmm. are other cultures who like share, um, like, share like kind of like gender roles, you know, like there, there are African tribes that like, there are women fighters, you know, and it's like, that's a thing that's just normal and casual, you know? But I think that like, um, with capitalism, plus a patriarchy, plus, um, um, also like religion and like, that's normally where I get like a lot of flack. Like, I think those three things really put, um, like white supremacy and assimilation and whiteness into its place. Like when you think about religion, it's been something that's been used to justify either like doing heinous things or not doing anything to fix those heinous things. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at like capitalism, it's been used to say that it's for the greater good this is the only way that we can go from here but it's still stripping resources it's still putting a value on the things that like should inherently be accessible to all beings but it's being hoarded um for those who were able to get their first out of racist means because we have like literally made made uh, those means inaccessible towards Black and Brown individuals for mm-hmm. ages, you know? Um, and then in terms of the patriarchy, it's something that, like, is still reinforced by the, like, um, the belief that, like, women are inherently meek. They are they are not to speak, they are not to, um, you know, get out of line. Um, and I think a lot of that does come from, like, the toxic masculinity that like was able to be started you know like that being a standard for so long where it's like you have your wife you take care of her like she gives birth and therefore like she is part partially your property you know and it's like that ownership um that then like ends up um like being still mimicked today in our society in the way that we see like, um, traditional marriages. And I'm not, not trying to say that like the patriarchy is inherently, um, terrible. Like, I do believe that there are some people who have a really good structure with being in traditional roles. Like there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with traditional roles in a sense, if you are okay with living that way, if you're being respected during that, and if you respect other people who are not in that traditional lifestyle. Yeah. but yeah, in terms of that like I feel like yeah, those three are just like the umbrella terms and then like I I might even put like religion like yeah. kind of up there at the top because there're still like patriarchal views within some religions. There're still um like labor and capitalistic and enslaving people in, right. in in religion. So, and like yeah, it's uh it's so interesting because there's just so many like Echelons. It's so hard to break down what whiteness actually is because it's everything, because right. it's inherently our beings at this point, yeah. um or like the will of beings who are able to like force their will onto others.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Cause it's it's like the water that we're swimming in. Like if we're fish, like we're breathing it in, yep. and it's weird because like the more we talk about it, the more it becomes this like archetypical energy beyond Mm -hmm. just like the people who you know like I have white skin that like it it goes beyond that it's like this like multi-faceted dimensional like it's culture it's like all these different things and it it is hard to pin down I think that's why a lot of people will push back against it and I like Mm -hmm. that you have the preface of like like, it's not to, like, at least with, like, the patriarchy, it's, like, I'm not, like, talking shit about, like, <laughs> dynamics that work, you know? Right. Like, there are certain things, and I think a lot of people, when they hear this, they just immediately shut down. They get, like, super defensive, you know? Like, oh, they're just trying to take my religion away. She's trying to take, right. you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, no, we just we, we should really be understanding them and mitigating harm and seeing all, like, the, the, the ways that they do. Right. Um. So with that said, I think, like uh, – what exactly would you say blackness is as like a counter? Do you, Does it also have that like multidimensional aspect to it?
1: Yeah, um, that's like one of the, yeah, it's also like one of those things that's kind of hard to pin down. Um, like in terms of blackness, I think of it in terms of like what um, it is, the long-lost traditions of enslaved Africans who were brought here trying to be, like, held on to or reclaimed, um, I see Blackness as, like, and, like, one thing is a lot of people will say Blackness is, like, the struggle, um, and I don't really like putting it that way, like, I do believe, I think that Blackness is, like, inherently the, the trickle-down nature of, um the ramifications of slavery and of like things like the apartheid and things like that like blackness is like the resilience of um like people with like darker skin tones or even you know light like, because there are still mixed black individuals or so albino black individuals that exist um but i don't think that it's necessarily on a color aspect as much of it is a like community aspect like that's one thing where um, I feel like I feel as though like I can I can say something um, like um, oh you know like my mom was definitely one of those people who was like you better be in before the streetlight or else like you are definitely gonna be in trouble you know like my mom was the type of person who who takes no shit you know like those like experiences are inherently like those of some black individuals and like that some black individuals are adjacent to um, because it's what our culture has bred or it's what our like our society has bred you know like um, there's a there's a there's a book called post-traumatic slave syndrome and it talks about how um how like what is what's the reason why black families are as broken as they are and uh, one of the things that joy brings up is um, the fact that like during slave times or slavery times uh there there's like a constant belittling of black men there was a constant like um disregard for their personhood and like continuous strip of power so then when they got into relationships um in which like a lot of the times with enslaved africans like they were forced into relationships together to breed the best um and that like then our uh, our association with like relationships was like oh, well, how do we survive? It was, like, sometimes it was love, but a lot of the time it was like, how do we survive? But then you still have that power aspect or that power dynamic that's been stripped away from both people and, like, uh, in Black men, like, constantly being belittled, now trying to become the, like, the power or, like, the masters of their own house and that becoming um very tumultuous. And it being something where, like, we have dealt with, like, the mental, emotional, physical and spiritual um, ramifications of slavery um, to this day, and like throughout segregation and things like that. Like, I think that a lot of blackness is just kind of how we have had to survive, how we have had to create our own model in a system that refuses to let us either play by, like, refuses to either, like, let us make our own models, or uh, refuses to accept our our model as something that can be universal. Um, It's something that, like, it's just like a it's like an inherent nature it's like this knowing it's it's like the it's just like the black experience that we have in america i was speaking with my brother earlier and like we're both in interracial relationships and he was talking about how like him and his girl had um gone out to a bar um and that there was a bartender who like um was like serving everyone else who had already had drinks they had not gotten drinks yet like they had not been asked like what drink they wanted and like these like there was people all around them and they're like in kentucky um and there are people all around them who have gotten served and once basically everyone was served or like leaving that's when they finally like ended up getting like serviced and um their white partner was kind of like was that was that weird you know like was that like did you feel off about that um And like, if both him and I just being like, that's the black experience, that's being black, you know, like, it's like the, the, the relationship to oppression, um, just by simply existing, like, I've, I was in South Haven, visiting a friend with my partner, when we're coming out of a, we're coming out of Walmart. And you're seeing these people like leave before us through the, like, after they've checked out and things like that. Like, there's a guy who has like, probably like 40 dollars worth of alcohol in his car like he's got stuff under his car you know it's whatever and he's like let freely go there's like an older white woman she's freely let go and then they get to us and they're like hey i'm gonna need to see your receipt and they like check our cart you know um and like uh, and i remember my partner being super like like upset about that and like me kind of like in that moment having to be like you know like here's the receipt Whatever, like I'm like for one, I'm not in an area that I know of. I don't really know anyone else other than the one person here, so it's not as though that like I'm I'm willing to start stir up something or like go into this whole battle that now becomes just me trying to exist within my day. You know, um, that it's something that like it's like that innate feeling and that innate knowing that there there is like a fight against your, your being like, yeah. and basically like blackness, I feel like is something that is like, is something that's so like, uh, like the origins of this earth you know like i think of like tribes and i think of um what we're trying to come back to like in this current day and age where it's like we're coming back into medicinal healing with herbs and things like that we're coming back to actually like speaking to ancestors we're coming back to all of these practices that are inherently like like BIPOC um or you know like sometimes like Celtic or um like Celtic practices, that have like, been shunned, or have been like halted with whiteness coming in, you know, it's all these Mm -hmm. things that have been like, witchcraft, it's all these things that have been like, um, holistic healing that doesn't really work like in air quotes, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, it's the it's blackness is something that's like, inherently been there all all this time, you know, Um, at least in the US, because there are other places around that like don't have like their the african or people of african descent who don't see themselves as black who've never had to see themselves as black like it's something so yeah it's like one of those
0: yeah it's wild a nebulous but yeah it, it's interesting cuz like when i think about it like my original thought was like what my initial, like, feeling is, is that it's, like, wildly creative and Mm -hmm. beautiful and spontaneous and, like, of the earth in such, like, a profound way that, like, there is that streak within, like, every human, but we've just suppressed it so, so much. But really, it's, like, I think, like, modern black culture in America Mm -hmm. is kind of the spearhead to returning to that. And it actually is, like, a sister culture to a lot of other, like, paganism and Mm -hmm. like ritual and like anything that's kind of like against the grain of like what our modern society is and I think that that's Terrence McKenna called it the archaic uh revival right um, the, the rebirth of shamanism and plant medicines and you know I think that like within the heart of that is something that like we are in desperate need of and the more People push that away. They're they're pushing parts of themselves away. Right. And that's like what's most sad is like they're creating walls within themselves that they're they're afraid of. And I think that that's where you know like the assimilation comes from is because yeah. it represents an aspect of humanity that is so desperately needed. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's like fire. You know, it's yeah. a, it's hard to hone in. So instead of like working with that energy and dancing with it, we're squashing it. Yeah. You know. So it's like anything that reflects that kind of like fire-like nature we don't even yeah. want to free yeah, stable yeah right, right. it's yeah. the feminine yeah you know?
1: exactly and i think that's one thing that um is like is very hard in this day and age because like um you'll hear a lot of like talk about like appropriation like a lot of people don't understand cultural appropriation or like what we what we mean when we say like you know you guys are robbing black culture when you do a lot of the things that you're doing um and like a lot of people um will like go towards like oh well this is also inherently pagan this is also inherently like you know like celtic or like things like that and um the complete like dismissal of the fact like here on the on u.s soil that like natives have had these practices that were stripped from them and like i think that's one thing about like assimilation that also needs to be talked about too is that like sometimes assimilation is like is um light or it's, um, you know, you can't really tell. But then sometimes assimilation is like the fact that we've had genocide here on U.S. soil. You know, sometimes it's like it's our residential schools. It, it, um, It is us completely like dismantling native practices and their ability to speak their own language, have, pardon, have their own land, you know, like raise their kids with the belief of like their of the creator, you know um and now you see like so all of, a lot of that like being brought back up by white individuals it's not as though like the natives are able to actually like reclaim that themselves like in the it like they're always reclaiming that you know in like in their reservations in their own communities like in their own way but like it being brought into mainstream by so many white individuals who refuse or like just don't care enough to actually see where these practices are coming from. Like the amount of Palo and the amount of white sage, the amount of like um, just like herbs and practices and like even the art of like smoke cleansing, which smudging is inherently native. It, like I will always say smoke cleansing, um, smudging is, is the native word for what, what that practice is um, and how like people, do not give any kind of like recognition to it to its roots. You know that like it's still a situation where like when we say that like they're stealing black culture, um, it's kind of like what you said. You know that it is like this innovation. It is like you know the creativity, the artistic nature, like the music that like black individuals have brought to this like this continent. You know the like the technological advances that we have had with like no kind of um. Mm-hmm um recognition like like one of the things um that like is hard too is it's like even in terms of af or african-american vernacular english um which you'll hear a lot of people and especially like white gays using um the whole like the way that we speak is not just like because we think it's cool or because it's like it's something that like we use for like clout or something like that it is something that like comes from the fact that we were not properly taught how to read or write it comes from the fact that we had to create our own language it comes from the fact that like we were denied so much and then it became something that like was passed on for generations and something that like became so like ingrained in the pocket communities that we were forced into and that we learned in and that like we soaked in outside of whiteness um, that is now just being trudged back up by people on TikTok or, or like, you know, like a lot of um, a lot of millennials, honestly, like people who hear something they like, they take it and they don't care enough to research where it came from. They don't care enough to understand what the true context is of some things like even um, even uh, the, the hypocrisy that we have here in terms of Black people doing things and it never being seen okay or it being questioned into, like, white people doing things. And we're supposed to just say we're okay with it because it's somehow supposed to build a bridge for us to actually finally be able to use the things that we've been using for ages okay. without, like, with all these roadblocks, you know? Like, it being a thing where... Um, Seeing like white people with, and anytime I'm referring to to locks on white people, I will always refer to them as dreads. Um, seeing white people with dreads and like them not even understanding like the true importance of it. Meanwhile, like I'm a I'm a black individual who has four C hair, and most people don't even have to know hair textures, you know, or hair mm-hmm. types. Um, I'm a black person with four C hair who like my hair does naturally lock up. And I actually have to put in protective hairstyles. I actually just took mine out. That's my mine's all like wild. But um, I have to put in protective hairstyles for my hair not to have the an extreme amount of breakage for it to still get like be able to like hold oils and grease because our hair isn't as naturally oily as our white counterparts, you know, like in it being a like a a, like a rhyme to the reason you know, and, like, people just not having to, like, understand that.
0: Yeah. I've heard, and I don't know, I'm kind of curious about your your take on it. I've heard a a friend of mine say that, like, the thing – people say, like, cultural appropriation a lot, but really what they mean is cultural misappropriation Mm -hmm. and that there is a way – and, like, cultures are always appropriating things from each other and there's, like, a healthy diffusion of culture. So do you think Mm -hmm. that there is kind of a distinction where, like – things can healthily start to merge? Or is it with the current power dynamic that's in play? Like, what does that look like? That kind of boundary?
1: Yeah, it's hard um, because like, like I do believe that there is a, there is a healthy way of doing cultural sharing. There is a way of doing like actual cultural uh, appreciation, appreciation, you know? Um, And that a lot of that comes from, for one realizing who you are, why you want to do these things, why you have, like, how you are even given the accessibility to do these things, where you've learned these things from, like, um, like in terms of, like, people who do refer to themselves as shamans, you know? It's like, okay, you're able to what, like, purchase a plane ticket to go to Costa Rica, you know? You're able to get time off work to go and, like, sit with you know, these people who you're paying, you know, like you, like there's a, like with everything like within economics, if there's a supply, there is a demand. But realizing why is there a supply here? Is the supply here actually there because the people who started it really actually want to share what's going on, who really like invite people to their space to do it? Or is it because it's a service that they provide and now people are somehow interested in it after seeing a pinterest like page or seeing something that went viral you know like there's a difference between like the sharing aspect in terms of like why you are doing things and Mm -hmm. even if it is for like good intentions or good meanings like is this something that you are going to bring like with you throughout your whole life you know because that's the thing with like cultures culture is not something that like you pick up and put put down, you know, and I think a lot of people will do that, especially with things like, um, with things like, um, like, whether it be like, like certain hairstyles, or like, we see it in situations with like, um, with even celebrities, like one of the like some of the examples that i'll bring up are like miley cyrus and it being a thing where like she was she came from like disney channel she ended up being you know um being like this sweet down home country south girl who who sang the climb you know billy ray cyrus's like you know daughter to this person who was, twerking on stage with robin thick you know to this person who is now hanging out with black people who got a lot of flack and like continuously like misappropriated black culture in terms of wearing a jordan jersey in terms of like having sneakers in terms of hyper sexualizing herself to a point where like once that no longer served her she went right back to having an album that was an acoustic that was something that was sweet that like she ended up you know, being like, oh, you know, like, I don't, I don't actually like the rap game. All they talk about is Rolexes and things like that in terms, like, in terms of, like, country not being something where people just talk about their trucks and, like, their shiny guns and, like, you know, the, the bragging aspect that's in all music, you know, and, like, that, in a sense, is, like, a lot of people, um, were, um, upset with Black people for calling Miley Cyrus out, you know, but we knew, that it was temporary we knew that this is a phase that people like if you're using it as a phase to gain some kind of identity to like actually like find some kind of culture that you yourself think you might be able to like fall into or think that you might enjoy but like don't have an actual call toward like you are then appropriating. you're no longer appreciating you're like making a mockery and like i think a lot of it comes to like Depending on what you're doing, realizing what are the ramifications for those who are of that, like, like, that, like, background of, like, that native, like, black, you know, background or, like, Asian background. Um, Are they actually still able to do what you are doing, like, right now without being, um, without being hindered, without being prosecuted, you know, without um, having to deal with, like, the innate racism that comes with things you know like and like that's one thing with uh, that i will always call out is that like i believe that like black culture <laughs> does also appropriate and i think that like people are like, nor, like confused when I say that, but, um, like, there is a, there is a way of which, like, Black culture appropriates, like, Asian culture, you know, and the same way in which Asian culture appropriates Black culture, and that, like, there has become, like, a mild appreciation that's, like, come through that appropriation, but that there still needs to be a line and, like, a respect that is just held for those cultures and for their ceremonial garbs and like wondering like why these things have a place in this world you know like people wearing kimonos you know and it's like all right do you know what what times people normally wear kimonos like why they wear kimonos or like dashikis dashikis are normally something in terms of like celebration or like you know like and if you're actually doing it within the proper context of its origins, like that's the huge difference between like cultural sharing and appre- appreciation, and like cultural appropriation, and just completely misappropriating a whole culture's um, like thing or like <laughs>
0: yeah, or like
1: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. I think an important aspect to this is like I think transmission is really important, like. Where exactly yeah. did you get the inspiration to do this from? Have you actually spent time in these communities that have these practices? Specifically, right. I mean, you brought up like the shamanism thing, and that's something I see a lot, especially being kind of on the outskirt of like a lot of hippie communities is like right. someone will take acid once and like immediately <laughs> like, I'm a shaman. Like you have literally no idea what you're talking about. Right. Like have you practiced for 10 plus years under right. the careful guidance of – and I think that, like, if you truly are feeling called to a mode of expression, mm-hmm. like, getting involved with that community on a more more than superficial layer, like, right. if Miley really wanted to go down that path, you know, like, spend some time before you capitalize off of it, like, right. really get to understand it be immersed in it live it breathe it um, as much as you you know can I mean she's obviously you know multi-millionaire who is kind of you know in a different place but um, I I just think another part is like like so much of our culture is so disposable that it lends Mm -hmm. itself really easily to just picking things up putting them down when they're out of out of vogue if you will and I think that kind of also comes back to what I said about like we're kind of like cultural refugees and that like we have no cultural identity so like we're just wearing all of the the trappings Mm -hmm. of everybody else's culture and then when it's like not cool anymore air quotes then like we move on to the next thing and you know it's honestly like it's a shame for the cultures that are getting Uh, appropriate and it's a shame for the people who are participating in it because they're not sinking deep into anything you know and it's like they're gonna take off their dashiki and then put on the like they're just gonna jump from thing to thing and it's like you're doing yourself a disservice you know it's
1: yeah it's it's like really hard too because um people do have such a negative way of reacting to you saying hey you're not actually using this thing properly or like you're wrong in the way that you're using this or this actually isn't for you and then like saying oh well that's divisive you know like i've met a lot of like especially like um white hippies who like i'll say hey these things aren't actually for you like you know there's like there's deeper meanings so what you're actually doing you know and you're not realizing it like even in terms of like the drug use of or like yeah even in terms of like using like acid or like mushrooms or um ayahuasca etc you know like there are ceremonies for mm-hmm. some of these things you know like there are there are like it's still a spiritual extension of yourself and like i think that's why a lot of people will like then call themselves shamans or think that they're like um that they are like kind of like the gurus or something or that they are in a place to heal others because they feel like that spiritual connection but they're not i don't think as though like some people are actually listening to that you know they feel good in that moment they like the way they feel they want to continue to feel that and they want to help other people feel that but that's not necessarily where like ceremonies come from in those points right. in times, so, you know, like, yeah. it's like, there's a situation where, like, there's still people who are trying to become shamans or, or, like, claiming to be shamans or, you know, even, like, the witches, you know, like, that is a thing where, um, they're still not actually doing the actual shadow work or the work in terms of even living in the like the times we live in like it's it was completely different for like those of shamanic nature or you know like preachers um back before technology you know like there was such a deeper connection in nature like they weren't sitting <laughs> sitting here in these boxes on boxes on boxes that we call houses you know like that there is um there's ultimately something that will always be lost um that we can never fully gain back and people are just kind of skirting that you know and they're just kind of saying well like oh well i have good intentions so i'm gonna do this and like i've seen some people who like who say oh you know like i want to like hold the ceremony or i want to like you know like do like Like even like Reiki healing, you know, and it's like, okay, but have you gone through the process of healing yourself? Have you gone through the process of going through your generational trauma that we all have, you know? Have you gone through the process of like recognizing what the racial differences and disparities even exist? You know, like what world we actually live in, and it being a thing where like yes i understand that race is a social construct but at this point in time it it no longer is just that like we have lived so long in terms of like seeing race as something that's so definitive something that literally has like been used in discriminatory acts in terms of even people getting food housing shelter you know like almost everything you know that like that has to be brought in and like you actually have to do the work of like going to your ancestors and going through your, like, history of your ancestors and working through that, because that is still something that's in your chain of, like, of being, you know, that's still in your DNA that we all have to work through. Um, And it being a thing where, like, it's hard to kind of get those people who just have that feeling of wanting to help or heal without, and, like, tell people that, like, not everyone was meant to be a healer, you know, mm-hmm. not everyone was meant mm-hmm. to do these these like spiritually important or culturally important things. You know, some people are supposed to just bring water back to camp, you know, and that's yeah. and that's a harsh reality, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I think especially with like the the role of like healer, there's like really good optics around it, especially in the spiritual community. And I don't think it's always like a negative thing. I think sometimes people do find great benefit from like ceremony space. And they're like, I do want to share this with people. But again, they're not really like respecting the full capacity of like what it takes to hold that space, which you really don't until you take like a formal training. Mm -hmm. And I actually do think like, as you were saying, like, understanding like the cultural differences and like the racial differences in terms of like the epigenetics even like if you are to be a healer and you're not specializing in these unique things then like Mm -hmm. you're really not like the full-fledged healer that you're claiming to be unless you're trying to understand everybody right you know because i mean even in learning about like generational trauma specifically with like racial trauma like by understanding that you are actually starting to learn about every other race as well and just like in having that like full lens to be able to view these things unless you do that then like you actually could be causing more harm exactly
1: and that's one one issue that i have found with like um with trying to find healing like even i think i like told you too like in terms of like when i get like a massage i very rarely go to, like, non-BIPOC individuals, like, or more specifically non-Black individuals, because Mm -hmm. I do realize that, like, while there is, there is, like, that cultural or, like, racial difference that, like, I, my body might respond differently to how others will to an, a white, like, instructor or, like, a white, um, masseuse, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and that, like, if, if you yourself aren't aware of like the racial differences, or even like, you know, like gender differences or sex differences or like trauma informed, you know, like all Mm -hmm. the ways in which you like can know how other people live, like you can do harm, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. it's a thing where I've, um, I have a friend sprout who actually is a masseuse and they are white but they have like gone through the the process of like learning about black bodies learning about black trauma that's held in bodies like they were also one of the people that like notified me that like it's pre it's like a predominant in like especially like black women that like we are completely disconnected from our pelvis like there's so much trauma from ages of like one not being um, not being able to access or like, sexuality in terms of, like, being hypersexualized or, um, you know, being used as, like, as, like, just birthing methods, you know, back, back during slave times and things like that and, like, how disconnected I was from that and, like, even in the midst of, like, my massage, I remember, like, hitting once like, they hit one spot in my back um, and, like, figuring, like, feeling, like, all this dredged up trauma from, like, being in, like, a domestic violent, like, like, relationship, I mean, like, holy shit, how long have I held that, you know, and I kind of just, like, silently sobbed in the midst of that, and, like, it being a thing where if you're a healer, if you're someone who is directly engaged with other people, other cultures, like, you can't help unless you actually can, like, empathize or like sympathize um and understand where there are going to be like boundaries or where um there needs to be heightened communication and things like that so and like especially in terms of um that's like one of the things too like being in an interracial relationship and now becoming a parent um i think that's that's like that's been one of the hardest things that i've had to like really tackle with because I was such a person that was like I will not have children you know I have such a fear of like dying on the dying on the delivery table because of like the history of like um oppression within black individuals in our medical system whether it be like you know Tuskegee whether it be like the black mortality rate you know in terms of like um death or um or it being a thing where it's like okay even if I make it through this pregnancy even if this child makes it through this pregnancy like what happens then you know like they still get brought into this world where there's still so much unlearned you know there's still so much that's like existing um and that fear like that just kind of sits in my body every day and like something that I really had to like I've had to like work with throughout this pregnancy, you know, and, like, figuring out how to, like, even, like, one of the biggest things with, like, um, in terms of Blackness, you know, is, like, getting that that first initial conversation about Blackness and how, like, the world sees Blackness and, like, now knowing that conversation that, like, my mother had with me, you know, and knowing that I'm now going to have to, like, look at my child and still do that same speech, you know, do a similar speech where, like, I would have hoped, you know, that I wouldn't have to. But now that I've, like, grown and learned, I realize that, like, racial justice isn't actually going to probably come in my lifetime, you know, and it might not even come in their lifetime. And that was something that's, like, so hard to, like, grapple with. Um, and it being a thing where like I've, I was able to get a black midwife because I didn't think that like if I actually went to a hospital and had white doctors like that, I would like be listened to. And I ended up going and like having an OBGYN um, who was a white male who didn't listen to me, you know, and like all of my fears that were like there were literally right there in front of my face, you know, and, like, being, like, it being a thing where, like, I've never had a, a pelvic exam, <laughs> um, and I guess you're supposed to have it, like, after you're, like, 21, and then, like, and then every, like, I think, like, three years or something, I had never had that before. I have sexual trauma, like, I have, like, um, like, uh i've had past eating disorders and weight dysphoria you know and or body dysphoria and so like i went into there and like all of that literally got like brought right back up with him like saying oh you know thanksgiving is coming up i don't celebrate thanksgiving so there's (laughs) strike one and then like and then him being like oh thanksgiving is coming up and like you know make sure you like you don't eat an extra roll like you don't need to like gain extra weight and things like that it's like oh there's like strike two and then it being a thing where like they like sit me down. They're like, they're like looking at I have a tattoo of like a black power fist behind my ear. And they're like, Oh, like, what's this? Ha ha ha. And it's like, okay, already like the racial insensitivity knowing oh, yeah. what year we've had. <laughs> and then it being a thing where like, they sit me down to like, um, mm. have like this, like, I'm like laying down and they're like, Oh, you know, like, we're talking about this cyst that I had, and I'm kind of just completely dismissing me and not letting me finish like how I was feeling about it. And then like, just went right into the pelvic exam where they like didn't talk me through anything just like completely started and I was like I've never had one of these like can you tell me what's going on you know like what's happening they're like oh well I just kind of assumed and I was like don't assume
0: what (laughs) kind of an (laughs) OBGYN what that is the most unprofessional like client-centered profession like well, that's insane
1: right and it's like they're in a like they're in one of the larger hospitals here and it being a thing where it's like literally like being like this is why I have all the fears I do and you know and mm-hmm. like all the anxiety I do and realizing that like I'm like it sucks to feel justified in knowing that I was fearful for a reason um, so I'm very fortunate to have a black midwife now and we're gonna do a home birth it's gonna be a water birth hopefully
0: oh, and nice. like
1: that so like that like I started that pregnancy off with like dealing with that OBG and then was able to like sh- like there's just been such a huge shift in like my comfortability my intention with like um my whole being even just being able to have a black birth birth worker you know um and actually being able to have someone who like can talk to me about those random stressors who's someone like tiffany townsend she's very trauma-informed like she um she's like oh you know like i'm is it okay if i touch your belly you know like oh here we're gonna get your weight it's not and so like i'm seeing if you're uh if there's a perfect weight that you have to be at i'm only just seeing if you've gained a lot or like lost a lot because that could mean that there's something wrong you know like the communication the yeah. like actual like informed nature that like just was there was something that like was beautiful to me. And I think that like, we need a lot more of that in terms of like our healers in terms of what we're doing every day, you know, that intention, that mindfulness, that everyone says that they want to reach towards, you know, when we're doing our yoga classes and things like that, like, oh, it's so important.
0: I mean, I think a big part of that, too, is like that work isn't sexy, so to speak. You know, it's not something like to become trauma informed and to do research and to like look into really difficult cases and see how subtle ways that you can communicate can actually have large implications. Like it's not very attractive work, you know, it's not. Whereas like doing the yoga and the meditation and like I'm, you know, like doing that, like it has optics, you know, and it's like you have to pass that. (laughs) <laughs> right right it's like cool you can fit in all these asanas and you're like teaching classes but like are you right. really are you understanding people's physiologies to be able to like best suit them you know like that's right. that's really important
1: yeah uh, um i britney the but... person uh britney uh campus the one that i like um mentioned to you like they posted a picture of like i think it was like two or three different femurs and i was like holy crap is like is is that why I can't do some of the bends that like other people can do and like they had this whole thing about how like not all bodies are the same like not Mm -hmm. all bodies can bend in the same ways that like they like that you'll see you know not all bodies are made for that and like um, it being a thing where realizing that like put so like took so much stress off of me because I'm a person who like I've tried to do yoga and I'm like I am a very short and stout person you know like I'm I'm large breasted you know I have like I I walk on the balls of my on my on my feet so like I can't actually go flat-footed without like putting major strain on my calves. um, Mm. And I just felt like inadequate, or I was like, is this like, do I need to lose weight, you know? And it's, it actually just being a thing where like, our bodies are just different. And like, they're not all going to do the same things and like, she offers like gentle gentle yoga where it's like there, there are times where like if you need to sit, you can sit in your chair and do the yoga and follow along. And it's like, wow, you know, like that's a space that actually holds space, you know, like we're supposed to like the mindful intention of like engaging people with their bodies and Uh, It's something that like, yeah, and like those might not be like the best for optics, you know, like in terms Mm -hmm. of like people won't see it as challenging or feel challenged, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's like it's so inclusive in that in that point in time that like optics be damned, you know, and I just Mm -hmm. wish that there was so much more about that or even them notifying me that like hot yoga where people go and sit in steam is completely completely false. (laughs) Like, that's not actually, it's supposed to be like, focused on like, I think, like your penile gland, and that's where you're supposed to want to sweat from or things like that. And we're like focusing on this on your forehead and your and like your face when you're just doing normal poses and not like, literally sitting in a in a sauna where you do yoga, you know, it's like the mashing of like, native and Indian cultures in doing hot yoga, you know,
0: yeah. And the guy who made that, uh, I forgot his first name, but it's Bikram. It's like, it's considered like Bikram yoga. And like, yeah. he's gotten a lot of flack because he's used his platform for like, he's amassed like millions of dollars. Oh he sleeps with a bunch of his students, oh. has like 30 different Lamborghinis, <laughs> like, you know, and like, he like patented that kind of yoga. So, you know, any studio that offers Bikram yoga or like the hot yoga, like they kind of have to like follow his thing. So he's like monopolized it. Right. And it actually doesn't really show you where your body's at because when you're sweating, when you're, everything does loosen up, which is nice, but you're going further than what your body actually naturally does and that's where
1: that's where appropriation harms you know like and like a lot of people are like appropriation isn't harmful and i'm like it's literally harmful in a way Mm -hmm. that like we not only is it like now completely misconstrued people don't actually know the proper ways in which like you're supposed to sweat in terms like that and now we are hurting people and feeding the pockets of the rich
0: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) quite literally and i would just say like i i like Brittany's approach and I know I reached out and I was like hey you want to teach me And it's not something she offers but the, the idea that like yoga is for everybody and it's like it's not about like fitting into the pose it's like where does your body find its pose like yeah. you have this shape that a body can fit you know but it's like everybody's gonna look different in that you know yeah and I, I think that like that that's super important to have a teacher who's I also just don't like big class yoga. I just yeah. think that it kind of loses out on like you you really if you have a yoga teacher, they should be giving you a lot of attention and like helping you get into each pose and showing you where your body, you know, how to correctly position yourself and you just kinda miss out on that, you know.
1: Right. Yeah, so. it's um it's very interesting. And then like that's the thing too, is it's like I don't go into spaces like that because they are normally predominantly white as well um and like one thing i wanted to mention too was like the white gaze um which is uh like actual gaze as in looking where it's like i've walked into spaces and like i've just kind of been hanging out and i've had people who like will over smile at me um where they like it's like this it's this like smile that white people give where it's like a super huge (laughs) smile where it's like you're safe here like we're actually happy you're here and it it, like becomes so like hyper focused where like it's like now the white gaze, or like i've had people who have come up to me and like you know like put their hand on my shoulder and be like we're so happy to see you here you know and it's like i have not seen you go to any of these other white mobs here and like you know do the same thing um but like it being a thing where like i can't even find my space like find my like find myself in like predominantly white spaces without feeling like an outcast you know or feeling Mm -hmm. like that there is some sort of like dynamic where if something were to happen there if anything like racial or insensitive were to happen there i am outnumbered you know i cannot speak out about that i cannot actually like make sure that this is a space that like is welcoming towards me like and even trying to jump into like other places and like even going and seeing if a space is like inclusive is kind of tiring sometimes like and i don't even have the energy for that sometimes yeah. and like there has been like situations where i have reached out to other black people and been like yo have you have you been to like have you been in this space like how social house you know like oh what's it like here at like you know z's like when you do karaoke you know it's like and literally having to like like do research and like even when we traveled like having a the list of sundown towns that like still exist like up and so i knew where we were going and where not to stop you know and like where not to be
0: Could you quickly just describe sundown towns i don't think it's a concept that a lot of people know about
1: yeah so sundown towns and they're normally towns in which uh like back in the back um, especially during segregation um there was a rule in these towns where if you were black you were not to be caught in that town when the sun went down or at least outside you know um and so it being a thing where like before the sun went down you were in your home you know um and i think that it's still kind of like is perpetuated even now in like this day and age in terms of like black families. And like I said, like being in the house before the street light comes on, you know? And it being a thing where we, like there was nothing good to be had at nighttime for black people. So (laughs) there was no reason for us to be out there kind of thing. Um, So sundown towns are um, like, they've kind of evolved um, like nowadays Um, and like the new, the way that I look for a now a sundown town is seeing how hyper-focused they are on their policing, what their demographics are, and like the look like you can like, there are some areas, especially in middle America where we would we would drive through. And it looks like those like Western towns, you know, they still have that like, Western ideology, that whole, um, you know, like, We are the law, we make the law and like, you know, we're a community and like we notice if you're an outsider, you know, and like the amount of uh, Blue Lives Matter flags that went up because I've traveled to 47 states um, even before this uh, this previous this previous trip. And so like these are states that i have gone through a second time and like in the past few years, like there has been a larger shift in like how much people ride for the police. How much people like put up Trump signs? How many more American flags went up? You know, and like it being a, it being a sign or like a symbol. You know, kind of like where it's telling for Black folks to be like, oh, you know, like it's not safe for you here. You know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So sundown towns are basically just like towns that are inherently like that, just have that inherently racist nature to them, or that like, um that only really hold space for for whiteness you know like the the uh the like dixie kind of um appeal yeah
0: Yeah. so you had like a list like is there like a database or yeah there's
1: actually a database um online um and like they like updated every now and then as well um and so like i would go through those lists and then I'd also go and research, um, you know, like the demographics or a little bit more about that place. Um, and normally it's about like probably 90% white with like some like Hispanic, native or like Asian population. And then like a small percentage of black um, and a lot of the like, and that's like one of the hard things too is like, when I was going through these towns, it's like, I was avoiding sundown towns, while also um, having a map that shows, uh, it's called, I think it's like nativeland.ca, where it shows what, um, what tribe, what tribal land you're on, um, and what natives traditionally like reside there or resided there. And so like, it was so interesting to go through all of these areas and realizing that like, a lot of the sundown towns like bordered native like native reservations you know or Mm -hmm. like the amount of native reservations that were out in middle america that were like poverty stricken you know and like how much they've just like been neglected um and how much like it becomes like it borders on also Trump country, you know, like where it's like all these people moved in, they saw cheap land, they removed natives from their land. Um, There's like the Homestead Act um, where they literally had had like farmers come and like buy land for like cheap or like were given land as long as they could push natives off of that land and seize it from natives and keep natives from there. And so like you it, it was interesting seeing like the the full um, like consequences of like our history with the, like the Homestead Act with sundown towns with, um, with like even the ways in which like the land has been stripped from um, from people here. And so like when I was traveling like that was something that was like super hard to grapple with you know, and seeing that like, it's not only just like, it's not only just like our ghettos and pocket communities that we like, put like black people in, but then also these native reservations that are also still just completely like, decimated, and like completely forgotten about or like, pushed out where no one can see them, you know,
0: yeah. It's like, Every culture is in the front of the train of whiteness, you know, and it's whatever way that it ends up getting disenfranchised or decimated, as you say, you know, there's like unique ways that that manifests, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're still able to like see it and chart it out. And the fact that, you know, you, we have these like databases and maps where you're able to like really draw clear distinctions and lines, I think speaks to like the validity of what you're saying, you know?
1: Yeah, it's... it's-
0: it's crazy. Cause like, I know like a lot of people, I mean, it's wh- white people is what I mean. Like, we don't have to like worry about that, you know, like we'll get an in wherever the, wherever the hell. And, you yeah. know, and it's like, I'm sure you're not alone in like doing this research and this com- kind of communication, you know, it's probably a pretty big part of like American culture and it is American culture, you know, yeah. like uh, the black population of America, like this is something that you have to keep in, in mind to this day, which is just like, baffling and so disheartening to hear that it's still such an active concern. And it's like, it's 2021. Like,
1: yeah. yeah, like, I just have no idea. Like, I'm very fortunate to have had, um like, the ability to travel to 47 states. But that's only been because like, I had access to funds because I was constantly doing like restaurant restaurant work or temp work. But then also, like, I constantly have white buffers. Like I had white friends who like wanted to travel with me, who I could send it send into like gas station and things like that. Like it would be, I, like I I am one hundred percent sure that like if it was me and another and like i had a black partner traveling our experience would have been completely different you know um and there would have been a lot more fear in terms of that um and luckily like being able to have them drive you know and like like having my white partner drive you know and it being a thing where it's like oh at least you know you you are you're less likely to be profiled kind of thing yeah and it being a situation where like i also have realized in my traveling and like with assimilation like like also comes code switching which is like when you shift your your um when you shift your like like your your speech to emulate whiteness kind of uh you like I, i'll remove slang i'll like speak very like um directly um and things like that but I have like a traveling persona, you know, like I will go out into the world. And if I am like, you know, going into a store or we are at like, we are at a space where there are like groups of white people where I am like way more friendly. I am way more open because I have to be if I don't want to be seen as a threat, you know? Like I am smiling more, you know, I am joking and like giving like the whitest jokes possible, you know? or like connecting to like white people on that kind of like cringy white dad level, you yeah, know, and that yeah. becoming like, um, like a persona that like, I kind of have to put on and like, I have to joke around with these people who like also are saying here wearing Confederate flags, you know, who are just right. kind of like, it's like, I can't show that there is like pushback or that there is like a, um, like, a disinterest or, um, like disagreement without then having to fear for my life or like fearing for like the relationships of that community that I'm now walking into, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like one of the biggest differences with like whiteness and blackness in terms of traveling is like, there are some people who will never have to search, um, you know is this is this space safe for me you know like mm-hmm. unless you're a bipoc individual or um like a gay or trans individual like mm-hmm. the world's your kind of oyster you know like we're always yeah. told the world the world is your oyster but at the end of the day like we aren't like i'm not i'm not a white pearl dude like i'm not someone who can like sit in this oyster and like still be like or in this like clamshell and be yeah. safe you know yeah. um And it does cause a lot of like, a lot of fatigue, you know? And like, that's one of the hardest things to deal with. Is like trying to have that love of travel and that love of like meeting new people and experiences while also existing in America where that is something that is not really supposed to be afforded towards me. So,
0: yeah. It, it kind of reminds me, like when you talked about like white gays and like going into a space and having people be like overtly friendly. Like you almost kind of have to do the same thing, but the dynamic is different in that, yeah. like for you, there is very real threat, so yeah. it's very verifiable and justified. Whereas for a lot of these other people what is the cause it's it's like an activation of their nervous system to some degree where they're like trying to make sure that you feel comfortable but it's Mm -hmm. like in going out of their way they're kind of like telling that there's like some sort of energetic weirdness that they're feeling to where they feel like they have to like calm you down it's like calming themselves down a little bit it's like seeing if i'm
1: safe if i'm one of the safe ones like you know there's no bad blood here we're all one you know love is love kind of thing
0: yeah yeah Like, if this person does something, you know, criminal, like, I got to make sure that I'm in the clear. Like, it's just, that's so weird. Yeah. Uh,
1: And I think a lot of it kind of has to deal with the fact that, like, people don't have to deal with, black people on their day-to-day basis, you know, like yeah. a lot of it comes to the fact that like some people may have one to do two black friends and I normally that one or two black friend that people have, you yeah. know, like multiple white people have, you know, yeah. but um, it being a thing where like they will never have to go into actual black spaces, you know, like yeah. um, I was talking with my partner about how like this world is like is something that is definitely not something in which like people of color can actually, like, navigate in a safe and healthy way in the ways in which white people are allowed, like, in terms of, like, going to, like, like, you, like, white people may feel uncomfortable, like, having to stop in this, like, in, like, the more black area of town, you know, and, like, get gas or things like that and, like, are, like, extremely fearful, but they will never have to, like, fear being denied their money. They'll never have to fear like actually going in there and being like not treated like their money mattered. You know, whereas yeah. like us as black people, like we kinda, there's like ways in which we're told not to come in. You know, we have dress codes, we have, you know, like super high prices and like the more white areas, you know, like there are like, like key things that continue to tell us like, we do not belong here, you know? Right. Or you'll see those uh, those signs where it's like, um, you're not allowed to have your bags like in the store, you know, and it being a thing where like, it's normally like projected towards black individuals. Yeah. Um, or like, yeah. um, that was like one thing I brought up earlier um, during COVID. And why I think a lot of people were getting really frustrated with COVID, uh, I saw there was like a heightened in frustration when people started to put up, like businesses started to put up the the plastic barriers, um, the like splash screens kind of. Yeah, yeah. And like I thought about that, and I like saw how like people were like getting so frustrated, being like, oh, this is so stupid. And like, I I was born in Sagnon and would go back and visit every now and then. And like, our almost every corner store had bulletproof glass, we were we were never allowed to touch the cashier. (laughs) We like, we had the slidey spinny things like that was a normal, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, people are being shifted out of the people were shifted out of their normal people were shifted out of the safe safe space that it like we like america is white people safe space like we have a lot of people who are like oh safe spaces are stupid safe space safe spaces shouldn't exist but america has essentially become a mm-hmm. oh, safe space for white individuals you know and that like um That like once they were thrown out of feeling protected or like feeling safe that there was this like negative pushback or even with downtown like once all the when the windows were broken people went super quick to like try and fix it up try and clean it up together and like remove the fact that what happened there happened you know that we Mm -hmm. are not like we are not in a space where like it's like we were kidding ourselves that we're not in a space where racial racial tension happens you know and that right. was a that was the only time i saw that amount of black representation or black art anywhere in grand rapids mm-hmm. any almost anywhere in michigan other than like the east side of the state you know yeah, yeah. and that like i i was like i was telling my my partner that like i think it's really funny that like we have so many spaces with windows downtown, you know, um, and like complete open windows, and like the possibility of that being a thing because you have the police department, the police station, literally a block away, you know, whereas you go to the southeast side, you go to Burden and Alger, like. People don't have a whole bunch of windows like in their in their store shops, you know, like yeah. they kind of know better, you know, they know that like there is a possibility of people busting out your window every day, you know, yeah. but you, you don't, ha- they don't have to think about that downtown because we've created that culture downtown, you know, we've mm-hmm. created the police nature of downtown, we have an unspoken curfew you know, right, where like, right. it's two o'clock bars are done, y'all need to get back home or wherever you're supposed to go. And if you're still down there, you're either looking for trouble, or you're, you're like unhoused and you need to be moved. Or <laughs> like, it's, uh it's really interesting. And in the ways of like, like, overall, it's just the perspective that we all live in, you know, and that like, all of our perspectives are different. But a lot of people share similar perspectives, by the way just because of, like, how we have tailored our world, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I think that that's probably a great uh, note to end on that actually, like, kind of sums up a lot of this. So I just want to say thank you so much, Taya. Uh, this mm-hmm. has been awesome. We're at, like, going on two hours. Oh, I, I really appreciate <laughs> taking the time to walk us through this and have this conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for listening and, you know, having There's... follow-up questions and um yeah, really just creating a platform too and making sure that like the harder conversations are happen like are happening and yeah, like I said earlier, I really enjoyed yours and uh thoughts or um Alex B. Cross like podcasts and it yeah. being a thing where um you are touching on like things that people are kind of uh skirting around, you know.
0: Yeah. So well, I mean, I like to say this is like this is like a wellness podcast first and foremost. You know, I want to talk about like how to feel most alive. Mm-hmm. But honestly, in the 21st century, if you're not having these kinds of conversations, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Right. And like to really be fully alive, we have to be engaging with this content and with these this world. You know. So if we're not having this talk, then like, yeah, we're we're not doing it right. Right. So yeah, thank you for coming on and helping me uh, kind of start this because this is going to be a reoccurring. You know. Idea that we keep walking through, so maybe we'll even have you on. There's a lot of stuff that I actually still wanted to ask you, but like we're at two hours, I'm like, dang it, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of meat to pick off this bone, so to speak. So yeah, um, yeah. Maybe in the future we'll be seeing you again.
1: Hit my line, Brett.
0: (laughs) Yeah, awesome. All right, thank you so much, Taya. Be well. All right, my friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I know today was a long one. Like I said, there is a lot to talk about, and I feel like we really only scratched the surface. Taya is an awesome human being, as you can tell. Just incredibly wise and informative and patient and compassionate, and I am just so glad that we got to actually sit down and uh, share that much time together. You know, It's always a treat um, to get anybody's time for that long, let alone a good friend who has a really awesome message. So hopefully you liked the episode. Uh, Check back in next week. Uh, Wednesday, 11 a.m. We got something special coming up. Next couple episodes, things are getting nice, spicy. Uh, if you want to support the show, like I've said in the past, just head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Subscribe. Do the same over at YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe. Like us on Facebook. <clears throat> We're on Instagram now. Uh, pretty much all the social media platforms. So come say hi. Let me know what you're thinking. Awesome. Have a great one.